guys. Um, we're starting a new uh, series on the fruit of the Spirit um, this morning, and uh, so I'm going to dive into that and give a little bit of a, a different take on this, I think, but before we get in there, I want to start by talking about marriage, particularly my marriage. There we are. It's so funny, you just put up a picture of your wedding day and people clap. Or you mention, hey, it's my anniversary, and people are like, yay, it's like the easiest thing in the world. It is our anniversary on Tuesday, 19 years. Yeah. See, you guys, this is why I love you. You just offer this up, yells up so, so, so easily. Uh, 19 years ago, I married this wonderful woman. And uh, as Sarah and I often say when we're doing premarital counseling with people, every marriage is a cross-cultural marriage. Anybody attest to that? Okay. Some have more extreme cultures than others, but my family had moved up to Minnesota when I was 18, that's when I met her, um, and uh, my dad had become the pastor, her mom was the church secretary, so we joked that it was an arranged marriage. But I realized very quickly in the days of dating that we were, a very diff- we were cut from very different cloths. Uh, my family, you know, we're very Scottish and we're Southern, adopted Southern. Both my parents are Canadian, actually. But they become naturalized citizens and my dad now thinks he's John Wayne. So, sorry, Dad, but you do. Um, so, so we, the way that we interacted together was loud, you know, and, and we were boisterous and we... Um, we made jokes constantly, me and my brothers, and it was always like sarcastic little jabs in love. And uh, so I realized very quickly as I spent time with Sarah and her family that this is very, very different. Very different. I've, I remember the, the day it really struck home. We were playing Dutch Blitz. Anybody ever play Dutch Blitz? Great little card game. It's all about speed. So I'm over at her house and we're playing this game. And Sarah's just wiping us. I mean, she's killing us, right? And, and so I'm, I'm, a, I'm not actually frustrated, but I'm like, come on, like, you're cheating now. Where are you hiding that card? I know you are. And uh, her mom says, well, now let's start throwing, let's not throw around accusations. <laughs> and I went like, because I was completely joking, but it was like, they didn't even like register on her grid that somebody would, would joke in that kind of way. And I look over and she's got this little smile looking up at me going, you do not know the world you've just stepped into. <laughs> like this... Sarcasm is not going to work here. Even fun-loving kind of thing, it's just not going to fly. And so we had to learn new ways of, of communicating. But our family is sort of, uh, you know, they, they have lived in Minnesota for years and years, and, and, and in a lot of ways the, the, the subculture of the, the sort of, you know, it's, I actually think it's a, it's a stereotype that they kind of revel in of this sort of like, you know, understated, kind of stoic Minnesotan presence, you know. And uh, I have all kinds of friends up there, and it's sort of the thing. It's, hmm, hmm, you know. And uh, if you didn't, if you came from a more boisterous background or passionate background, you step in here, you might think, what's, like, are these guys awake? Are they alive? Like, what's going on? And you realize they're, like, passionate, passionate people. In fact, these people have made a civilization in that climate, I'm telling you, I don't know how that happens. I look at this and I have so much respect. They work so hard for their families there and they don't complain. They just live in this intense, cold, freezing, somehow they've made it work. So, but from the outside, you might look at them and go, oh, like, you know. There was an old joke of the you know, Midwestern farmer on his tractor 
I went around going, ah, I'm thinking about telling my wife I love her. Nah. <laughs> I tried that on Facebook one time. I did that on Facebook. People thought I was serious. <laughs> I'm just like, you should do it. I'm like, guys. I, Facebook is a cross-cultural experience. Lots of fun. Lots of fun with that. So I met and fell in love with my wife, and, and we, uh, we honeymooned uh, on the north shore of Lake Superior in this little town called Grand Marais. Has anybody ever been to Grand Marais? Doug has. Oh, that's right, Randy. I felt like I was talking with you guys about this recently, right? A few others. Beautiful little town on the coast, um, and... Uh, we, we stayed at a bed and breakfast there, and one afternoon we went, I'm pretty sure it's right there, the, the rocks there on the, the bottom half of the picture. We, there was this f- beautiful flat rock, and we, we went and we, we got sandwiches, and, and we got a book, and we got a blanket. We sat there for like hours as the, 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 the waves were rolling in, and, and the sun was shining, and we sat there and we read together for, I don't know, it seemed like four hours or something. And that sort of did something in our relationship that's never quite stopped. And that is, we love to read aloud together. And so we might go, you know, when things get really crazy and we feel like, man, hi, you have to like introduce yourself to one another at the end of the day. It's like, when you start feeling like the separation, one of the best things for us is, let's find a good book to read and read together. And, uh, and so that's sort of like, oh, yeah, it becomes this thing. And so I don't know how many times we've rediscovered this, probably a dozen, two dozen times of like, we like to read together, I forgot. And, uh, and every time it's like, this is really cool. That we actually just happened a month ago when we were away in, in Ohio at this conference, which wasn't at all relaxing. It was actually exhausting. But on the way back, we're on the plane, and we pull out this book that we had begun, and we read for four hours. I'm like, I had my, my head on her shoulder reading into her ear. It wasn't, we weren't like even being cutesy. It was like, this is the only way she could hear me. So for like four hours, you know, and we got done with this book and we're just like, oh, this is so great. We love doing this. And, and so we can always return to that. Now, I'm going somewhere with this. You could be listening to me thinking maybe one of three things. First thing is like, oh yeah, we do that too. We love reading out loud. Second would be, We've never done that. That sounds kind of cool. We should do that. The third might be, that sounds so mind-numbingly dull, I cannot imagine how this possibly brings you together. (laughs) Maybe you've got a different thing. People have different things. Some couples, I've heard, like to go shopping together. I can't imagine that. There is no quicker way to derail a date than saying, let's just swing into the store. We've done that so many times. We never learn. It's like, honey, you really need new shoes. We'll just pop in. And we do when it ruins the rest of the night. It just like destroys it. Shopping is a thing that is not good for either one of our souls. It twists it and breaks it and it's evil. But some of you apparently like it. We're like, let's go antiquing. Oh my goodness. What? No, I don't understand. But here's the thing. I'm not gonna judge you because it's your thing, right? It's like reading aloud for us is, is our thing. Imagine if I came to you and said, listen, I know you guys have been through a lot and really come out. You seem to really be more in love and you, you, you love your family and you're working well together and you're full of life. But let me ask you, when's the last time you read a novel with your wife? Oh gosh, I think we did it five years ago. Five years? Oh Lord, Lord help them, teach them. You, you guys are not very in love right now. Your relationship was not doing very, see, see how weird that would be? 
If you came to me and said the same thing about shopping, I, I would not know what to say. <laughs> See, because we have, all of us have different uh, uh, experiences that create certain stones of remembrance or stakes in the ground that become very important to us. I can't evaluate the health of your marriage based on my own individualized criteria. It doesn't work that way. It's too personal. How do we evaluate the health of our own communities? I'm talking about our families, our groups of friends. They call those squads nowadays. Learn, learn to think. Squads, your squad. Or your small groups. Even your church. How do you evaluate particularly the spiritual health of these communities? Let me ask it in a different way. How do we tell whether God is moving in our midst? Because I think we can fall into a similar trap. I'm going to give you an example. This happened often when we lived in Texas. I'm full of like remembrance this morning. When we were living in Texas, Jeff Starr was on staff with me. That's where, uh, that's where we met and really got to know each other. And, and we, we worked in, in uh, a one-year Bible training program with Youth with a Mission. And YWAM, of course, is the biggest missions agency in the world. You have missionaries all over the world. And what we specialized in is bringing people off the mission field for a year to get better Bible training. Because sometimes people come in cold and they just, they go. Um, and then they realize, man, I need more understanding of the scripture. So it was just a one-year deal. And we would do these deep dives into the word of God. And every year, you would, it, people would just get rocked. And it was the most beautiful thing. At first, it's hard and laborious. You've got to listen to you know, there's four hours of teaching in the morning and then hours of homework and intense projects and it was, you know, it was really hard. And then they reach this point when they see the beauty of God in a way they've never seen before and they just get wrecked. Like, oh my, God. and they're reading like Leviticus, I swear. It's like, that happened every year. When you realize the love of God, even the Old Testament, that was the thing that would break some people. Like, oh my goodness, Lord, you're so good. I never realized it. And they would just weep as they're doing their homework and they would come back and tell these revelations of like, I feel like I haven't ever really known God before. I mean, I have, but I feel like I haven't. I feel like we're just falling in love. And it was, it was awesome to see that. Awesome to see that. And some of you guys are probably like that. Have, have, where you really first encountered the Lord was in deep dives of scripture and, and realizing the truth and the beauty of the person of God. Now, you might go for a while and you start to feel some, like, a little bit angsty and you're missing something and you're like, oh, that's right. I encountered God in this way and I've been neglecting that. And then when you dive back in, sometimes different results. Sometimes it's not like you can't just, like, recreate it. But there's a lot of times when it's like, this is home. Like, this is my rock on the coast of Grand Marais. This is our out loud reading. Oh, yes, and you remember. It's also easy to come in to a community when you're feeling that lack and saying, something is wrong. We are not studying the Bible for three hours a night. What's wrong with us? There's a real lack. Do we even, are we even followers of Jesus? And you can instantly see a potential problem there. Like, there could be truth there. But there also, you also could be making the same mistake as I was demonstrating about my love to read, with, uh, to, to read with my wife. You could be mistaking a personal desire, a personal hunger for a corporate lack. 
you could be thinking, why aren't we doing this? When in reality, what's happening is your heart is burning to go back to that place. But it might not be the same place for everybody. Are you with me? Let me give you another example. Another thing that happened back in Minnesota, my couple of years spent there, is there was a, a traveling evangelist that would come through. And uh, he would have revival meetings. Now, they called them revival meetings because... They just scheduled revival meetings. It's always funny to me that that's such a cultural thing of like, oh, we're having revival tomorrow night. Like, are we? Okay. <laughs> you can't actually schedule that. It's something that God does, but you know, well, that's fine. So it's just a day. It's just shorthand, right? So you have these meetings, <clears throat> and you'd have these powerful ministry times afterwards when weird stuff would just happen, man. I'll tell you. You'd have people come in that were just really broken down physically, emotionally, and they go up for prayer, and all of a sudden they just fall down when somebody touches them, and then, and then they're, they, they end up on the, on the floor for just like crying because God's doing all this deep, deep work. And what is like happening is almost like God's lighting this torch and like, you know, just like fusing them together. And he's doing this deep thing, and then they sit up and dry their eyes, and they realize it's three hours later, you know, <laughs> these things. And then they, then they go through a period of like just these deep, very experiential times with the Lord. And, and as, as life goes on and, and, and more things happen and, and just separation of time, they start missing those. And, and, and very often you could actually say, again, some of you guys can relate, I think, to each and every one of the, these examples. But, but this one, you, you might be really missing that and stepping in saying, why aren't we having these, these deep, extended, experiential times with God? Now, it really could be true that we could be missing out on these things, but it could also be that we're mistaking our own deep longings for a corporate lack. That could be your grand marais. See, God meets people in very different ways, just like our marriages are very, very different. And when we start mistaking, when we start taking our personal experiences with God and saying, this is the way it needs to look, this is when it gets weird. This is like going up to that Minnesota couple that have loved each other and stuck together through thick and thin and lost children and been through all this stuff and they're still passionately in love. They just don't hold hands in public. And telling them, do you even love each other? You see, because all of us have different ways of experiencing God. So no matter what it is, let me give you another example. This is one that's maybe a little bit closer. This is one I didn't experience, but as I've, I've heard all kinds of stories of the way God moved here at Christ Center. Some of you guys lived through all this, lived through some pretty amazing things. And one of the, to me, if there was a golden age of Christ Center for me from the outside looking at it, I, I, at least what a lot of people would consider a golden age, I would think it was the times when, when we had the, the prayer meetings in here in the like early to mid-90s. And there were, there were teams going out all over the place, particularly to places like uh, Guatemala. Um, incredible outreaches happening and these deep extended times of prayer together. And people would gather here in this, in this room at six in the morning and dozens and dozens, like over 100 people would show up like Monday through Friday at, at one point and just be walking circles praying because God was doing a deep thing. Now years later, you might come back and say, why aren't we having these 6 a.m. prayer times? Like, what is wrong? Is God moving? And it could be that God's calling us back to a place of more extended corporate prayer, but it could also be 
that we're taking that personal desire and imposing that on a corporate body. You see, it's a mistake that any of us can make no matter what our bent, no matter how we meet with God. It's not specific to anyone. It's, it's a human thing. We are, we are naturally sentimental creatures, and that's the way God made us. We hunger for the old days because we remember, and we're supposed to in a sense, you know? That's why he said set up stones of remembrance. But God meets us in different and unique ways. We cannot evaluate the spiritual health of our communities based on our own personal experiences. It's insufficient. Are you with me? I hope I haven't stepped on toes here. If I have, I'm hopefully an equal opportunity toe stepper. Because stepping on my own toes here because I have fully recognized this in my own life. Fully. I think back to some of my YWAM days and the things that happened. And I would be thinking about our times here with our staff and why isn't this happening? And I would just feel this like, oh, something's wrong. And then I felt like the Lord tapping me on my shoulder going, hey, dude, you're missing this. You're missing this. It was specific times of prayer, kinds of prayer meetings you had down there. That's what you're missing. But really what you're missing is more prayer time with me. Don't, don't blame other people for this. So I'm stepping on my own toes. Now, whoop, hello. Personal experience is not a sufficient tool to evaluate the spiritual health of any community. So how do we tell if God is truly moving in our midst? Well, here's something that Jesus said. Every good tree bears good fruit, but the bad tree bears bad fruit. A good tree cannot produce bad fruit, nor can a bad tree produce good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire, so then you will know them by their fruits. This is a very helpful criteria. What is a person, or what's being grown in a person's life? What kind of fruit are they bearing? Um, is it indicative that the Spirit of God is active? What is hanging from your tree? What's hanging from the trees of our communities? What's hanging from our church's tree? What's hanging from our squad's tree? What kind of fruit are we producing? Paul describes uh, some results, some fruit, which come from walking according to the flesh. He did this in the book of Galatians. Uh, and here's what he said. Paul never minces words with the Galatians. He's actually very upset in this book. It's a wonderful book. He's very upset because the churches he just planted, people have come in behind him and said, basically, Jesus isn't enough. What you need to do is follow the, the entire Torah, including circumcision. These aren't Jewish people. And, and so he's very upset. And so he gets into this, this passage and he's talking about, okay, here's the difference between walking uh, according to the flesh and walking according to the spirit. And here's what he says here. I say, walk by the Spirit and you will not carry out the desires of the flesh. The deeds of the flesh are evident, which are immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, outbursts of anger, disputes, dissensions, factions, envying, drunkenness, carousing, and things like these, of which I forewarn you, just as I, have fore, just as I have forewarned you, that those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. He's saying, this is bad fruit. If this is thriving and growing in your midst, please understand, things are not going well. I don't care what sort of outward spiritual activity is going on. There could be amazing Bible studies in times of corporate prayer and, and experiential times, but if these things are thriving in your midst, things are not going well. 
Now, we are all in a state of, of working through our issues. If you're not working through your issues, I don't, like, I don't know what to say to you. I mean, you're probably ignoring your issues. You need to work through that. So to, don't read this in a super black and white way because all of us are, are like, oh man, ooh, I struggle a little bit with jealousy. Ooh, you know, I struggle a little bit with lust and whatever these things are. Hopefully, we're all moving forward by the Spirit of God. But if you're practicing these things, we have a problem. You see, you know the difference between practicing and just like falling, right? You're practicing. This is what I do. This is what I do. This is what I revel in. And nowadays, because we worship the self, it's like, hey, this is just me. Deal with it. Heard somebody say recently, this is just the way God made me. Like, you could use that for just about anything. Well, I'm just an angry person. I'm just a bitter person. Deal with it. I don't forget nothing. (laughs) Then you're not demonstrating the fruit of the Spirit. Sorry. So if these things are thriving in your midst, this is a really good indication that there's problems. I don't care what sort of outward spiritual dynamics are happening. Can I, can I, I'm going to step on one more set of toes here. You know where this is very, very apparent? In our political discourse? Oh, all of you are like, yeah, it's true, right? You just know, it's true. There, there is these things, factious, factions, right, dissensions, envying, anger, strife, enmity, all of these things are so abounding in political discourse, and it drives me insane. Now listen, this is, this is the world system, and I understand the world's going to do their thing, but friends, as followers of Christ, we, we cannot act that way. There is no place for that in the body of Christ, and if this stuff is a part of your political discourse, you need to change it. Sorry. You just do. I don't care if you're right. I don't care if you're right. You might be absolutely right. But if you're being a jerk about it, then you're, then you're walking according to the deeds of the flesh, not the spirit. Okay, I'm going to back off that point. So, we're all on a journey. We're all being sanctified. But if these are the fruits that you have, there's a problem. So then... How do we know if the Lord is active? The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Nowadays, the only time, <laughs> not the only time, but you think of fruits of the Spirit, like you Google fruit of the Spirit, you get a bunch of kids ministry things. Actually, our kids are going through fruit of the Spirit right now, which is super cool. But it's like sort of a kid thing. Oh, yeah, I see lots of colorful fruit. It's just like, you know, Noah and the animals. Oh, cute little animals, cute little fruit. This is a powerful thing. We need to take this seriously. He's saying, look, here's what it looks like if you're walking according to the flesh. Here's what it looks like if you're walking according to the spirit. This is the fruit that's going to be on your tree. Love. Is there love? Huh. That's kind of a big deal. But you remember, <laughs> you, know, you know what's not on there? Being right. It's not on there. I'm stepping on my own toes. I'm stepping on my own toes. I, guys, I used to obsess over being right. I once wrote a, a paper in high school about how to be right all the time. I did. And I did it just because these girls thought I was opinionated. So I wanted to just like, yeah. Irony, right? Kind of proved them correct. I wanted to be right on it, but that's not a fruit of the Spirit. Fruit of the Spirit is love. Remember when Jesus said, all of the law can be summarized in one word, love? I don't care how correct you are 
about any issue. If you are not loving, then close your mouth, please. All right. Whew. Joy. We'll talk about joy in a little bit. I'm not talking about happy, clappy joy, like everything's fine, like denial. That's not joy. That's called being fake. The Holy Spirit offers joy in every circumstance. Every circumstance. And it's not, it's not a superficial kind of thing. You know who I think of? I think of my brother Tito right here. Going through what this man, this couple have gone through the past three years, and for him to, to still have a smile on his face and say, I love Jesus, and if he takes me, he takes me, and if he doesn't, I'm gonna keep on, I'm gonna keep on going, keep on loving him. That's, that's what's offered us. That's fruit of the Spirit right there. That's good fruit. Peace. Not just the absence of conflict. There's, there's all kinds of places you go in absence of direct conflict. So places where passive aggression just thrives. You know? like, oh, no, no, we get along real good. Real good. When he's not being a jerk, we do great. <laughs> but actual peace is not like perfect agreement all the time. It's like peace in the midst of, of even disagreement sometimes. You're like, well, here we go. Uh, Joshua talked about last week about the two of us not always agreeing. And I can't wait. I can't wait to get to heaven and get that check from him. It's going to be amazing. <laughs> But we really do have peace in our relationship. We don't hold things back from one another. We say, this is kind of what I'm thinking. This is what I'm thinking. Well, we disagree. Hey, you know what? That's okay because peace isn't defined on agreement. Patience. Oh, patience. Oh, patience. This is such a hard one. This is difficult. This is hard fruit right here to grow, I admit. It's difficult. To continue to show love even when love isn't reciprocated? To like continue, like, just keep doing it, just keep doing it, when your emotions are going against it? You see, the, 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 if you're walking according to the flesh, what are you doing? You're, you're lashing out, you're having bursts of anger, but if you're walking according to the spirit, you're continuing to show patience. You see? Oh, that's a hard one. Is that growing in your life? Is that growing in our midst? Is that growing in your family, in your squad? Are you, you have, do you have patient friends? Or do you have friends that get ticked off at that group over there? Because that's factiousness. Kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. You see, this isn't a service level. Everything's happy, I have the fruit of the Spirit. Yeah, okay, it's not that. It's a groundedness where we recognize everything that's going on and we say, okay, I need help. Holy Spirit, I need, I need your help. I need you to grow something inside me that I cannot grow. You see, when you walk according to the flesh, all you're doing is walking according to the things you naturally want, okay? That's really what it means, the flesh, like the body. What is the, the body wants all kinds of things. Some things it should have, some things it shouldn't. When you're walking according to the flesh, you're giving in to outbursts of anger. You're giving in to sensuality. You're just, your, your body wants a thing and you say, do it. But part of the fruit of the Spirit is self-control. Self-control. When you can say to yourself, I'm not gonna do this thing even though I want to do it. Is that growing in you? These are the fruits of a life that the Holy Spirit is involved in, as an in investing in, not just on a personal level, but on a corporate level. How do we evaluate if God is present? How do we evaluate if the Holy Spirit is moving? Not through personal experiences, because they're too varied and too different, but is there fruit that the Holy Spirit is active? Is there fruit? Has he been planting seeds, and are those growing in fruit? You could walk through the orchard 
of a community and discover if the Holy Spirit's been active. Now again, sometimes this gets messy. Please don't get judgmental on this. Sometimes this gets messy and, and, and sometimes it's really hard to evaluate in the short term. But this is what we're aiming for. We're saying, Holy Spirit, can you invest more? Can you inject more of your DNA in my own heart? Whether that comes through deep experiences of lying down and soaking for hours, whether this comes with diving deep into your word, whether this comes in corporate times of prayer, no matter what it is, I want to grow in these things. The, the particular expression is far less important than the fruit. I just want the Holy Spirit working in my heart. And if that became our posture, then I, I, I think, honestly, that we would, have more, we would end up with a variety of ways, of surprising ways that we would meet God. Because we wouldn't get so hung up on the particular expression. 1 Corinthians 13 says this. <laughs> this is pretty great. This, to me, kind of, you know, this clinches the deal. If I speak with tongues of men and of angels but do not have love, I have become a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. In other words, I could dive into experience. I could have all these amazing experiences because that's what it's all about for me. It's about meeting God in supernatural ways. And he's saying, yeah, you could do all of that. Go for it. But if you don't have love, you're just a noisy, angry, annoying drum. You're like, you're like the monkey thing. Stop it. That's what he's saying. Ouch. Okay, but he's equal opportunity toe stepper too. Here's what he says. If I have the gift of prophecy, and then he goes on, knows all mysteries and all knowledge. That means, oh yeah, you're so into understanding because you want to understand the knowledge of God. And you have all this understanding. You can say all of these things, but you have not love. He, he, he adds that have not love, then you are nothing, he says. If I have all of these, I have all understanding. Uh, so what? So what? You don't love a person. That's the entire point of not, the goal of our instruction is love, Paul says. It's the entire point of learning is to love more. So if you're learning, you don't love more, who cares? If you're having prophetic words, you understand prophecy, but you don't love, who cares? He drops down. If I give all my possessions to feed the poor, if you're passionate about justice, you're gonna stick it, you're gonna speak truth to power and you're gonna keep doing it. You're gonna be there to provide for them, but you don't actually love, guess what? Your work is all in vain. And if I give my body to be burned, that means you are out there. You have missionary martyr zeal. And you're like, I'm going to give everything for you, Lord. I will do it. I'll be hardcore. I'll go to the hardest places. I will stand before kings. I will be defiant in the name of Jesus against them. But you don't have love. It profits you nothing. You see, this is what it's all about. It was never about these individual things. All of these experiences, all of these efforts are ways that we show love. Some of them are deep wells that we can go back to when we when just need some home cooking. Lord, I need to go back to this place and fall in love with you again. And guess what? He's gracious and he will do that for us in the same way that I can open up a book with my wife and we can return back to that place. And it's a beautiful point of connection. I am not in any way saying those aren't good and valid and beautiful because they are. Return to those. But don't make that the point. I want to be a community here, a community that strives to love above all things, above all things. Love God, love others, serve both. That's what we're about here. That's what we want to be about. I know we don't always do it perfectly, and a lot of times we mess up. We're talking about a church level. A lot of times we mess up. We are very, very imperfect people, 
If you love us and think we're amazing, I promise we're gonna let you down sooner or later. Because we're human, we just will. But our desire is to love well. Because that's what God asks. That should be our goal. So let me ask you, what is growing from your tree in yourself and in your communities? Is it spiritual activity? Is it a certain methodology? Is it the fruit of the flesh? Or is it the fruit of the spirit? Let's pray. Prayer servant team, can you come? Holy Spirit, we, we want to grow your fruit. So Lord, I just submit this word now to these saints and I ask you, Lord, to let it, let it grow in their hearts, let it grow in my heart in whatever way you desire. Help us to love like you love. We ask this in the mighty name of Jesus. Amen and amen. Bless you guys. Have a wonderful week. We'll unpack this more in the next few weeks.